Welcome to the Life Course podcast from the ESRC International Centre for Life Course Studies at UCL. In today's episode, Professor Jean Twenge from San Diego State University talks about Generation iGen and the links between the time young people spend on their screens and growing trends in poorer mental health. So I've been doing this work on generational trends and generational differences for uh, about 25 years. Recently, that's meant working with these very large uh, national representative data sets here in the U.S. Started to work with some U.K. data sets as well. With the data coming in from around 2011 or 2012, I started to notice some changes. Teens were suddenly starting to say that they felt more lonely, more likely to agree with items measuring symptoms of depression. They were less likely to say that they were happy. Uh, those trends you know, kept going year after year also started to notice that they were showing up in in other places as well, other screening surveys of major depressive episode. There were reports of more emergency room admissions for self-harm behaviors, for suicide attempts. The actual suicide rate started to go up. And I know a lot of these statistics have also uh, appeared in the UK. There's also some evidence that they're appearing in Canada and Australia as well. Roughly speaking, these trends across these four countries show more or less the same pattern of the increases in mental health issues beginning around 2011 or 2012, and they tend to be more pronounced. The trends are are larger, the increase is larger uh, for girls than for boys. Right, so that led you earlier this year in 2019 to publish a paper looking uh, a bit more precisely at the amount of time young people were spending uh, using digital media and whether being a heavier as opposed to a lighter user of that meant that they were more likely to be unhappy. Talk us through that research, what you actually did. Sure, yeah, that was not a conclusion I came to quickly or or lightly. At first, when these trends began showing up, I really had no idea why we were seeing less happiness, more loneliness, more depression, and then later these more serious mental health issues. It was a real mystery because we did have a severe economic recession here in the U.S., uh, but that began around 2007 and was officially over around the end of 2009. But you know, really kind of lasted till about 2010 or so. But at 2011, 2012, that's actually when things started to get better in our economy here. Uh, things picked up. So what that means is these increases in mental health issues were appearing at the same time that the U.S. economy was improving. That's not usually what you'd expect to see. You'd usually expect to see the opposite. So that seemed to point away from cyclical economic factors as, as being what's going on. You know, I considered a lot of other possibilities, you know, thought about you know, a lot of people ask about academic pressure. Well, that doesn't seem to be it because in the U.S., students are spending about the same amount of time on homework as they used to in the older grades and in the younger grades they are actually spending less time. Same thing for, you know, extracurricular activities like sport or, or music, spending about the same amount of time as they used to. People have asked about, well, what about the school shootings that happened in the U.S.? Well, the problem with that argument is those began in the 90s. And these serious mental health issues in this recent spike didn't start till 2011, so that's not what you'd expect. Plus, thankfully, those issues don't appear as much in the UK and Canada and Australia, and you see similar trends there. So was it at that point then that you started considering this uh, possible connection between these trends and the rise in digital technology? In the US, 2012 was the first year that the majority of Americans owned a smartphone. 
that period is also the time when social media moved from being optional to mandatory among teens. It used to be about half of teens would look at their social media site every day, and now almost all of them look at it every day, and that happened during that same time period. So the time sequence lines up. That's step one. It's not the only step, though. Some people say, well, it could be anything that happened at the same time. Well, no. It needs to be something that has an effect on a large number of people and has an effect on day-to-day life. Technology and smartphones, social media fit that description better than just about any other cultural change during this time period. You know, spending a lot of time on technology is not something that happened to the kids' parents that they might have been affected by indirectly. It's not a news event they read about. It's something that happens to young people every single day for hours at a time. That's why I think it seems to be the most likely thing that's going to have an effect on their personal mental health. So you and others have built up quite a body of work in this area. What do you think it tells us? So in most of these papers, we take a look at usually a pretty large nationally representative data set that asks young people how much time, usually in hours per day, they spend on various types of technology. So some of these, you know, look at overall use of electronic devices. Others will ask about specific activities, like how much time do you spend on social media, on gaming, online, on video chat. And then we can see, well, what's the relationship between the amount of time that teens are spending with digital media and their happiness or their symptoms of depression. And very consistently, the teens who spend more time especially those who spend an excessive amount of time with digital media, are more likely to be depressed and unhappy. Yeah, I guess, and that sort of uh, leads very nicely to my next question, because, of course, a lot of good stuff happens on digital media, doesn't it? Young people are finding new information, they're getting help with homework, they're having fun with their friends. Some are even getting psychological and emotional support, we hear. So what's going on, in, in your view, that could be contributing to young people who are spending this long time on their devices, longer time, being less happy than their peers who spend, say, half an hour, an hour a day, and uh, have, you know, perhaps having a, having a good time there. It's an interesting pattern because when you look at this correlational data, and this shows up in other uh, researchers' data as well, it's, a, it's kind of a J-shaped curve, like a J that is kind of uh, fallen backward, if you can imagine. So the teens who are not using technology at all are actually not the best off in terms of happiness and, and depression and well-being. They're actually a, a little more unhappy and a little more depressed than the teens who are using technology a little bit. So half an hour, an hour, maybe up to two hours a day. Then after that, though, you get a pretty classic, it's called an you know, exposure response curve, where after about an hour or two hours a day, the more time the teen is spending with technology, the higher the rates of unhappiness, low well-being, and depression. Again, uh, you know, you've been pretty outspoken on this topic, but of course, as you rightly say there, it's extremely difficult to prove whether this heavy digital uh, use really causes unhappiness or depression in young people, or whether young people who suffer from depression because of other things are more likely to spend longer on their devices. So just how do we go about disentangling all of that? Do you think we should be pretty cautious about claiming any sort of direct links at this stage? Absolutely. I mean, I think that one of the most interesting results here is that it's not that technology is all bad, not by any means. There's many great things that people of all ages can do with technology. 
it's just what this data seems to suggest is limited use is the best. When that use ends up going beyond, you know, two, three, especially four, five, six, seven hours a day, that's when you get the worst outcomes. There's probably a, a variety of reasons for that. Of course, there are, there's a lot going on in young people's lives. Um, so what else did you take account of? What else did you look at um, to try to be sure uh, about this possible link between heavy social media use or heavy, heavy digital technology use and these lower levels of well-being, increased depression in young people's lives? So we've been able to control for a lot of outside factors. So family income, race and ethnicity, gender factors like that to try to make sure that's not what's what's causing it. There, of course, could be some of it that the kids who are depressed are spending you know, more time online. But there's also lots of other possible reasons. It could also be that the kids who are spending the, you know, especially the five, six, seven hours a day, that then they're not spending as much time doing things that are good for mental health, like sleeping, spending time with friends and family face to face, exercising, all of these things we know are really good for mental health are a lot harder to do when a huge chunk of leisure time is taken up by digital media. So that's the displacement effect. There's tons of research on sleep in particular being so important for mental health and that technology can interfere with getting a good night's sleep and getting enough sleep. So you've talked about the research that's out there already and the need certainly for more research. What, what is it do you think that we need to happen next to really create that body of evidence that paints a, a really accurate and nuanced picture? Because I think that's what you're sort of hinting that we need that takes into account those good experiences online and the different contexts uh, in which they're happening. What, what do we need to do now? There's more than one question to be answered here in terms of causation, that there's the individual level question, but there's also the question of causation at the level of the generation, what iGen has experienced. So they have never known another world than the one where it's just the norm for people their age to spend a lot of time with digital media, say on social media or gaming or online. When that's the norm, it also means, and we know that this is true, that they're spending less time with each other face to face. And then we also know that there's that trend toward mental health issues. In those cases, you really can't make much of an argument for reverse causation because you'd have to say, well, teens became depressed really suddenly for some completely unknown reason that nobody's been able to identify. And that caused them to go buy smartphones and spend time on social media. That's extremely unlikely it's much more likely that this technology became popular and then you had these effects on face-to-face -face time and depression. So at the generational level, I don't think we really, we really even have a question of, of causation. At the level of the individual, we need a lot more research and the experimental studies and longitudinal studies pretty much suggest at least some of the causation is going from digital media to depression. It seems it it's, could be certainly a cyclical relationship in some cases, that you do have depression leading to digital media use in some cases. But those experimental studies, they can show causation. And there's several that show that people who say restrict their social media use end up happier. Maybe not the first day, maybe not the second day, but after a week, two weeks, three weeks, uh, those are, that's what you tend to see. 
And then we need more longitudinal studies as well. Those have been a little bit more of a mixed bag, but I think the consensus of them, if you take them all together, is that there's some of both going on, but it looks like, my reading of that literature anyway, is that more of the causation does seem to be going in the direction of digital media to depression. Now, obviously, you're a psychologist. Is there something that you as a psychologist understand about the way depression works that's at play here uh, as well that's important? The way depression works is it tends to be passive. It tends to make people not want to do much. If it was depression leading to all of this use, I think what you'd really expect to see is more television and more videos. Social media is much more active. It doesn't really pull toward what a depressed person wants to do while sitting and watching TV does. Yet that's not what we're seeing. We're seeing a decline in, certainly in traditional TV, and we see much stronger links between digital media and depression than watching TV and depression. And I think that, again, you know, points in the direction of at least some of it is the digital media leading to depression rather than the other way around. From the perspective of what needs to happen next as far as research is concerned, what would you like to see? It'd be really great to have some studies that looked at, you know, say those who maybe completely gave up the technology versus those who limited, limited themselves to, you know, half an hour a day of social media and an hour a day of everything else uh, versus those who just went about their normal use. Or, you know, we could try to find any kind of gradation of amount of use and then see what outcomes look like. And we need those, those studies to take place over several weeks, not just a day. That's one thing that's important. In terms of some of the other things around some of the, some of the benefits, I think that's gonna be much more difficult to do because you know, you're not gonna be able to come to the conclusion, you know, Instagram is bad and Snapchat is good or something that, that's, that, that is that simple. Everybody's experience individually is gonna be different due to the interactions they have, due to their own personality traits. You know, seeking information online about mental health can be both a very good thing and a very bad thing. It can be a very good thing if you find other people who are going through what you're going through and that helps you feel better, or you look up the number for the National Suicide Hotline, or you find a therapist to go to and you're able to do all of that very quickly because of having access to the internet. The other thing that can happen when you have access to to uh, information online is it's now possible for even very young children to get information about how to harm themselves online. And that very well may be playing a role in some of these serious trends we have in increases in self-harm and suicide attempts is the ability to access that information for kids, you know, 10 years old who, you know, 10 years ago wouldn't have had their own smartphones or wouldn't have had their own tablets and wouldn't have had access to that information when the internet was on mom and dad's desktop and it was harder for them to look at that privately. Now, I wonder, based on what you've learned to date, whether you've got any simple tips or messages for parents, young people themselves, people working with youngsters and the policymakers, uh, both in the States and here in the UK and other parts of the world, who are obviously concerned to improve the health and well-being of, of children and young people, because that's a good thing to do, but also because of the enormous cost to, to health services as well. Yeah, absolutely. The first thing I'm hoping is that there'll be more attention paid to these mental health trends because they are very concerning and they are very large in a short period of time, which is very unusual. There are a lot of young people who are suffering. And I think this needs to be taken seriously. Unfortunately, I have seen a fair amount of things online that have been very flip, even humorous. 
in trying to talk about some of these issues around technology and mental health. And I think it has to stop. We need to take these things seriously because they are very, very serious issues. You know, the second thing that I think about, you know, I am trained as, as a researcher and not a clinician. Nevertheless, I think the clinician's view of thinking about risk is the proper way to do things here. That some researchers have made the argument, well, we really shouldn't have any policy implications or any advice or anything until we know more, until we have really definitive studies. Well, first, most researchers will will concede that if you're going to wait for the perfect study, you're going to wait forever. And you're always going to be acting on imperfect information. The question is just how how imperfect. But the way that clinicians think about it, I I think is absolutely right, that you have to ask the question of risk and benefit. What's the risk in giving some advice about reasonable limits? You know, saying, let's limit tech use to two or three hours a day. What's the risk in doing that? Not that much. That's still enough to be able to get a lot of the benefits out of digital technology while not running a lot of the risks. And what's the risk in doing nothing? In my view, a lot larger. If there's even a chance that this overuse of digital media has something to do with these very serious mental health issues increasing, in some cases doubling and tripling among young children and teens, that's a big risk to take. So what does doing something look like? You know, I think it's just a matter of reasonable limits. And I think if you're going to start someplace, start with sleep, that no phones or tablets in the bedroom overnight during sleep time, because it's very disruptive. No looking at screens uh, within an hour of bedtime, especially anything that's active. You want to watch TV or videos, that's a little better, but wear orange safety glasses to filter out the blue light. Then you won't have your sleep disrupted. And most of the time, limiting digital technology use to two or three hours a day. And there's going to be exceptions to that, depending on the day and the family and the kid and the circumstances. But the basic rule is to use the phone for what it's good for, and then put it down and go live your life and make sure it doesn't interfere with the time you're spending on sleep and exercise and face-to-face social interactions and all of the things we know from decades of research are good for mental health. Thanks for listening to the Life Course podcast, which is presented and produced by Chris Garrington. You can find out more about Jean Twenge's work at www.jeantwenge.com and research undertaken at ICLS on the links between social media and depression can be found on our website at www.ucl.ac.uk forward slash ICLS. <laughs>